The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. Turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. It is seven minutes after eight, and thank you so much for joining us on uh, Sona Day at State of the Nation 2017. Today, President Jacob Zuma expected to deliver that address uh, later on. But of course, Cape Town is a buzz of activity this morning. Everybody talking about what their expectations are. Everybody talking about uh, some of the controversies in the lead up uh, to tonight's State of the Nation address. And we're going to look at some of those stories and also indulge in uh, some of your conversations about what your expectations are. And uh, our guest this morning for this discussion, Aubrey Machikri, who is political analyst. Good morning and thanks for speaking to us, Aubrey. And we also have with us Professor Daryl Glazer from the Department of Political Studies at Wits University. Thanks for your time as well, Prof. It's a pleasure. Aubrey, let me start with you. Given all the controversy that we have seen in the lead-up to uh, State of the Nation Address 2017. What have you made of this personally? Well, I think there is a broader context um, to all the stories about the deployment of uh, the police and uh, the military. Um, In fact, you've been getting different statements from different parts of our government. Some parts of our government have been suggesting that the deployment is not um, out of the ordinary. Uh, You heard the Speaker of Parliament yesterday saying that uh, no one is going to see uh, the military in uniform anywhere near uh, the Houses of Parliament. They will be somewhere doing what soldiers do, but she said she didn't know what they would be doing. From the GCIS, there was a suggestion that yes, the military would be deployed, um, and uh, Parliament knows exactly where and why they will be deployed. Now, the broader context for me is this. Over the past three years, especially, you had, you've had some drama um, in, in, the, in the National Assembly. And, and this drama revolves around the tension between the EFF and the President. We also saw marches outside the Houses of Parliament and some drama also involving the police at some point and the fees must fall students. So if you want to go broader than that, it seems to me that there is a breakdown of trust and confidence between those who govern and those who are governed between the president and a large section of uh, the citizenry. And the response um, of the government seems to suggest that um, the president, either as an individual or the president as part of a collective in the ANC and in the government, um, are suffering from a siege mentality. And, And that siege mentality has made them to prioritize the security impulse instead of prioritizing the need to reconnect with citizens and bridge the gap of mistrust and lack of confidence that has developed between those who govern and those 
who who, um, who are governed, and therefore the deployment, if the reports are correct, uh, to me is indicative of some level of alienation between the government on the one hand, on the one hand, and citizens on the other. Professor, what's your take on all of this? Yes, I mean, I, I, I think I broadly uh, uh, agree with what's uh, been said so far. Uh, what I would add to the, uh, the context is, uh, you know, looking at uh, the South African and global environment, I think, you know, it's a time when uh, constitutional liberal democracy of the sort that uh, triumphed in uh, the aftermath of the Cold War is looking brittle in, in many places. Um, a lot of the optimism about a democracy and what it could deliver has, has faded uh, in worrying ways. And South Africa is one of many countries where there's a great deal of dissatisfaction, uh, a great deal of um, disappointment. Uh, you know, as a, a university academic, uh, we've witnessed this uh, firsthand with the fees must fall, the disappointment for the constitutional settlement. And I would say there's a kind of a brittleness to constitutional democracy in South Africa. At, at one level, we have uh, robust institutions, or more robust, uh, for example, than uh, institutions in, in, in many other African countries. But I think we also have a situation where, on the one side, uh, you've not only got dissatisfaction, but uh, uh, groups like the EFF, whose commitment to constitutional democracy or liberal constitutional democracy is open to question, uh, who, who are prepared, I think, sometimes to raise the stakes very high in terms of disrupting the operation of constitutional democracy. And then on the other hand, you've got uh, an ANC government, which, as we've uh, has been suggested by Aubrey Machiki, has become uh, increasingly uh, alienated from society, increasingly paranoid. Uh, we've got uh, what worries me is partly is that we've got a security cluster that itself uh, participates in, in factional politics within the ANC and the state that is politicized. Uh, they often come up with quite uh, weird and strange assessments of various threats, for example, you know, threats uh, from foreign powers operating through our non-governmental organizations, and this kind of... Um, uh, a way of thinking about the current political scene that you have in the in the state, I think, is also a, a potential threat to democracy. That they see ordinary civil protest uh, as potentially a, a plot to, to to bring down the state or to to create regime change. So I think there's a kind of a a, a tetchiness, a, a kind of a, an anger and 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 distrust on all sides that is is framing this moment and and, and which is a source of concern Let's get to some of the expectations um, around uh, the SONA and what President Jacob Zuma will uh, be saying with regard to various issues, for example, unemployment. Now, listening to President Jacob Zuma this week, Aubrey, and especially yesterday when he was talking about inequality and how uh, government hasn't been able to basically close that gap, I couldn't help but wonder, so if the president is saying this, what does that actually mean? Because who is in charge here? Well, what you must bear in mind, Sakina, is that since the beginning of the year, um, the ANC and the president have been throwing forward to the 2019 elections. 
they've isolated certain issues, um, issues they believe they've become vulnerable on and uh, have come under attack, particularly from the economic freedom fighters. All of a sudden, you hear the ANC talking about radical economic transformation. Now, of course, they've been doing that for the past uh, um, three years, especially um, after the 2012 Mangaung Conference. Um, that rhetorical commitment to radical economic transformation has not been supported by and with clear ideas about what it means. And therefore, it seems to me all this talk about radical economic transformation is just an electioneering measure two years before the election. They are also foregrounding the issue of uh, land reform and foregrounding the issue of race. In other words, the ANC and the president are foregrounding issues that they believe the opposition, particularly the economic freedom fighters, will attack them on um, in the lead-up to the 2019 elections. Of course, the more they highlight these issues, what they are highlighting are their own failures as a government and as a ruling party. Because the question they must answer is, why is it that 22 years later, these are the issues the ANC is still talking about, and is not even giving a report card about what it has achieved with regard to these uh, policy areas. So why they might believe they are um, highlighting um, issues on the basis of which they will either stave off a flight of votes to opposition parties or increase their electoral fortune, what in fact they are highlighting, as I said, are their own failures in government and therefore the failures of the post-apartheid state. But I think what we must do is to distinguish between the state of the nation and the state of the nation address. The two things, these two things are not the same to me. It seems to me, especially over the past three years, that the president stands up uh, to deliver the state of the nation address, but the state of the nation address that is not properly aligned to the state of the nation as understood by South Africans, particularly those who are working class and those who are poor. And therefore this gap between the state of the nation address and the state of the nation is going to be a problem for the ANC going forward, especially as we approach the 2019 election. So, Professor Glazer, on the score of unemployment in this country, which is a huge problem, definite scourge, and one that has to be dealt with effectively. How do we do this? You know, um, what can the president and, of course, uh, government, more broadly speaking, what can be done to reverse uh, this tide, given that our economic growth is currently at 0%? We flatlined. So what do we need to do? How can we change this? Well, it's a very complicated uh, question, you know, which economists themselves uh, debate. Part of the problem is that uh, South Africa started the post-apartheid period already inheriting high structural unemployment. And uh, we haven't ever really cracked the uh, high unemployment problem. Even during the Mbeki boom, our 
unemployment remained very high by uh, international standards. And of course, uh, Zuma's coming to power coincided with a global uh, collapse, and since then there's been global economic uh, stagnation. South Africa hasn't been able to uh, escape this. The economy's never really uh, gone back to a high growth path, and we need high growth to uh, arrest our unemployment problem. There are a variety of uh, reasons why South Africa has uh, the, the kind of high unemployment it has uh, relating to uh, uh, poor educational levels, relating to the, uh, the various factors which make for a high level of uh, capital intensity in the economy, a tendency to uh, employ uh, machines or invest in capital rather than in uh, labor-intensive sectors. Some sections of our manufacturing have for example, textiles have, have suffered from exposure to international competition from China in particular. So there are a wide variety of, uh, of problems, and the solutions to them are debated. For example, the question of whether uh, creating a minimum wage is going to uh, generate increased demand and growth or whether it's going to result in uh, further aggravation of unemployment, this is still uh, a, a highly contentious matter. Uh, there are things the state can do, but there are, are also limits to what the state can do. There are underlying forces that are uh, uh, in play. I think one of the problems of the Zuma years has been that the Zuma government brought together a coalition of people who, broadly speaking, expected policy to move to the left under Zuma. They expected a more state interventionist uh, kind of regime, and they expected a more effective addressing of the kinds of uh, inequalities which it was believed on the left that the, the uh, policies of the 1990s had uh, aggravated. But in fact, what we've seen under Zuma is a lack of decisive economic leadership, a lack of clear economic direction. We've had lots of declarations, including declarations in, in successive State of the Nation addresses. We've had promises of radical economic transformation. But we've lacked uh, the site of leadership, and, and indeed uh, we've had this persistent problem that Zuma himself has never seemed to be profoundly interested in, in policy questions. But the uh, ANC undoubtedly uh, is going to, or, and Zuma is going to, stress the whole question of radical economic transformation because the, the, the disappointment and dissent in the country means that, uh, and, and, and the recent losses of the ANC in the local elections means that the ANC, in order to maintain its dominant position electorally, it simply has to uh, make these kinds of promises. Whether it can still make them credibly uh, is, is an open question. And, um, you know, just talking about uh, why government hasn't been able to implement these policies, what, to your mind, are some of the more pertinent reasons for that, Professor Glazer? Well, I think that part of the problem is that uh, all sorts of social actors in South Africa, not only the government, have failed to come to uh, an agreement, a social pact, if you like, or social consensus about the way forward in the country. The National Development Plan, which was one of the important initiatives of uh, the Zuma period uh, was meant to chart a way forward. Uh, it indeed uh, tried to bring together a great deal of expertise in devising a way forward, and it was meant to be a kind of a development state agenda around which everybody 
could unite. But in typical uh, South African fashion, we, we haven't united around it. Uh, in fact, one hears remarkably little about the National Development Plan. The left in particular felt that it was a continuation of neoliberal and very technocratic kinds of policies. And uh, I think one of the things that happens in a successful development state is that the state's uh, capital and organized labor are able to come together around some kind of uh, common purpose. Um, you know, many on the left uh, quite understandably uh, are very unhappy about the deep levels of inequality and uh, poverty that uh, remain in the country. Uh, many of them uh, still harbor the hope that we can break through towards some kind of non-capitalist uh, alternative. You still hear references to this in, in the rhetoric. But the fact is that there's no radical non-capitalist alternative on the agenda. And so what everybody really realistically speaking, has to be trying to do is to find a way of making our capitalist system operate in a more rational and humane and socially responsive way. And this is going to require, on the one hand, a, a capacitated and progressive interventionist state, but it's also going to require agreement between various other social sectors. And I don't think we're quite there yet, and I don't think that Zuma has necessarily been uh, the kind of leader, inspirational leader capable of, of generating that sort of uh, agreement about a way forward. And I'm just wondering whether it's beyond Zuma because, um, and it's not just about Zuma because as Professor Glazer pointed out there, Aubrey, even when South Africa was enjoying some economic growth, we still failed to really create the jobs that we needed to in this country. Now that the economy is flatlined, I, I certainly can't see how this is going to happen. But the, the the broader question for me here centers around whether we are able to find our way out of this quagmire. Do you think that we, we, we necessarily know, given the evidence uh, before us, do we know how to get ourselves out of this rut? Well, first of all, this economic rut is a global phenomenon. Um, but it, does not always, it is not always helpful to universalize the problem. So we, we need to understand, yes, that uh, the economic crisis we face is part of a global crisis. Um, but we need um, specific solutions, solutions that are specific to our own conditions, conditions that are a product of a unique history of uh, apartheid colonialism. When you ask the question, can we get out of this? Um, I'm reminded of something I have had cause to say repeatedly over the past month, that if the solution is the ANC and its government, you can't talk about solutions without talking about, first of all, uh, the capacity of the post-apartheid state, and secondly, um, the capacity of the ANC government, and thirdly, the capacity of the ANC itself. The problem, however, is this. There are lots of solutions that are being thrown at the ANC and the ANC government, but these solutions are being thrown at what I have decided um, is a three-legged elephant that is being asked to run like a four-legged lion or a four-legged cheetah. And for me, that's, that's the main problem. There have been opportunities uh, especially 
during the first decade of uh, democracy, especially during the presidency of Nelson Mandela, when Nelson Mandela enjoyed oodles of moral authority, not only in South South Africa, but in, in the whole world. And the ANC itself at that time enjoyed high levels of uh, moral authority. That was a window of opportunity for the ANC to adopt radical measures that, that, yes, would be unpopular with those economic interests that were dominant during apartheid, which are still dominant uh, today. But that window of opportunity has closed. I'm coming to the conclusion now that change will happen, but change will not come from politicians and political parties or even government. It will come through government, but it will be forced on politicians and political parties by an angry population. So I am beginning to give up on the hope that the solution will come from politicians and political parties. And and I'm gravitating towards the conclusion that it is ordinary citizens who will pressure uh, politicians and political parties and therefore government into adopting radical measures to change the direction both the country and the economy are going. And uh, just uh, before we come up to news time, I just want to run through one or two of the messages coming through from our listeners. Uh, Tami Zeda says, all the social actors have failed to come uh, to agreement on common purpose, quoting uh, uh, Professor Glazer there. But why is this so? Why haven't they been able to come together, Professor? Well, I mean, a, a part of the problem is obviously that we're a, a, a divided society. We've got uh, a, a, a white minority that is still, uh, on average, vastly wealthier uh, than uh, the black population that still has a vastly higher per capita personal income. So, uh, and, and then you've got a, a black majority which, to varying degrees, despite the impressive growth of the black middle class, is, is still bearing the brunt of poverty, inequality, and unemployment. So that creates already a basis for various kinds of uh, social division uh, between those who've got vested interests in maintaining aspects of the existing system and those who, who, who want to change it. But I think it goes beyond that because it's not only about these underlying social interests. It's also about uh, ideological differences. It's about factional uh, differences within the ruling party, the scramble for resources, uh, the, the undecided question about you know exactly what the uh, the radical transition and, and radical economic transformation is meant to entail, uh, what the policy should be, for example, with regard to uh, uh, public ownership versus private ownership. The, the, uh, for, for quite a while, the whole issue of nationalisation was on the agenda. This uh, one of the problems is you know whatever decision one makes about. Uh, say, a nationalization of certain sectors, what one is languishing with in South Africa is a situation of uncertainty that is inhibiting investment. So there's a lack of decisive direction one way or the other. So I think it's a combination of underlying differences in terms of social interests, but also ideological and factional differences and the scramble for resources uh, all of these things are creating a situation uh, where, where there's a tendency towards conflict rather than uh, consensus. 
Well, our pre-SONA discussion this morning on the Forum at 8 will continue. We'll also give you an opportunity to join in and share your views. 891 is the call-in number, 34701 for SMSs. And you can tweet or Facebook us at AMLive on SAFM using the hashtag AMLive. Sakina Kamwendo on SAFM. It's 25 minutes before nine. Thanks for tuning in to the Forum at Eight and uh, speaking about what our expectations are. What are your expectations uh, for tonight's State of the Nation address? And just looking at some of the comments before uh, we take some calls. 891 by the way, is the call-in number. Ephraim says, uh, my, uh, my ANC government is disconnected from the people and the evidence of that is losing all the big metros and deploying... Uh, the military. Sony says, I won't pin my hopes on Zuma's uh, Sona 2017 uh, lest I suffer a heart attack too early and deplete my medical aid funds. Uh, this one uh, from Tami, uh, did Madiba not enjoy moral authority because of influence? And uh, then uh, Kwame Nichol says, the scramble for resources is where the problem actually lies with the ruling party. They care less about the poor. Uh, Mambisa C says, Sakina, please inform the professor the alternative to capitalism is already on the table. Uh, Mr. Masaela says, I totally agree with Aubrey. Solution lies in revolutionary movements on the ground. And uh, then this one from um, Andile, uh, who says, uh, you're making assumptions, but uh, uh, always great. Uh, Krishandu says, Sakina, for me, Sona means same old news after 22 years. South Africa needs a new government. Um, Ernest says 20 rand per hour and you talk about radical transformation. What is radical about that? Leadership is old and they've run out of ideas. Uh, Play Music M, Sona 2017 is just a waste of taxpayers' money. And uh, then um, Sengi Bengu says... uh, Sakina, we can never solve our problems without changing our economic system. Any measures are basically distractions from the truth. Maria Petsane says, uh, my uh, Sona 2017 uh, must-cover items are racism, black and white, fiscal inequality, including the minimum wage issue, hashtag life is it Dimeni, uh, and Zuma's resignation. And uh, there's another one here from Lionel who says, radical policy changes cannot be implemented because we are beholden to discredited ratings agencies. And speaking about being beholden, because uh, th- th- there is that sense, Aubrey, that um, we have a government who are not in charge of the economy and as such are beholden to those who do hold the levers of money. W- what's your view on that? Well, I mean, Naomi Klein um, uh, talks about uh, the shock doctrine and talks about the fact that when societies, countries, economies are in a state of crisis, they become susceptible to the adoption of measures they otherwise would not adopt. And the same applies to South Africa at the moment. We are going through a social and economic crisis. And we, we have become susceptible to the adoption of measures we otherwise would not adopt. For instance, when it comes to economic planning and management at the moment, we only have one bullet point, staving off a ratings downgrade to junk status. That has become the sum total of uh, economic planning and management in this country. And what that betrays is the extent to which, because of the crisis, 
uh, which to some extent, if we are to talk about the political class, is self-inflicted. Um, to some extent, we are in a situation where our national sovereignty has been compromised. And therefore, to some extent, our economic policies in the foreseeable future will be written by um, economic actors such as ratings agencies and international investors. I want to take a few calls at this point. 0891-104-208. Felix is in Nelspreet. Good morning, Felix. Yes. Morning. Welcome. Hello? Carry on, Felix. Okay, yes. Actually, the state of the nation is supposed to be about the state of the nation. And according to my own belief, the state of the nation at this moment is that we do not have a president. And the person that is parading himself as our president, Jacob Zuma, has been declared by the Constitutional Court that did not respect, uphold, and defend our Constitution. And therefore, we cannot have a state of the nation address when we actually do not have a legitimate president. Except we have a legitimate one, people need for a state of the nation. Okay. Thanks so much, Felix. Uh, lost you there. Uh, Sandy Lane Durban, good morning. Yes, I can have you. Well, and you? I'm okay, thanks. Uh, Sakina, firstly, I want to touch on the issue of the state of the nation address. This is where the, the country is expecting a lot from the president. And to actually have people saying, no, we will be questioning the legitimacy of the president. Don't you think maybe it's kind of boring now? And the fact that now we've come to this far. Uh, they had the whole year last year. None of this was happening. We only see this thing only and only during the state of the national trade, where the entire nation is expecting to hear a lot from the president. We are discussing the issue of the land. We want to hear what's the plan of the government moving forward, how we're going to be getting back our land. Now, if we're going to have people who will come and say, no, the president should not touch on this issue, we at the ground, as the masses of the people, at the ground level, are the ones who are suffering the most, while these ones who are enjoying the very same benefits uh, are busy fighting the president when he's speaking. It's really unfair to ask the citizen. And again, if you look at the Donald Trump inauguration, look how the soldiers were deployed, how, look at how the American army was deployed there, close to 15,000. Now here in South Africa, it's a mere 441. And again, there is an outcome in the country. Now it's as if knowing exactly what's going to happen there, Really, I think we are being unfair to our own, to our own president. We are being unfair to our own country. The citizens are looking forward to hear from the president. Thank you so much. Uh, that was Sunny Land Durban. So those two calls, you know, uh, presenting two views of uh, the issue of the president's legitimacy and, of course, what the EFF was talking about as well. Uh, Professor Glazer, what's your take on that? Well, the question of legitimacy is uh, a complicated one. Legitimacy is not just one thing. I mean, uh, Jacob Zuma is the uh, legally uh, elected uh, leader of the country. He's, uh, he is elect- he is, uh, chosen by a freely uh, elected uh, parliament. And he's, uh, in, in formal terms, the president of the country. And I, I, don't, I think it's uh, dangerous to deny him uh, the right to... Uh, occupy that, that legal position. At the same time, uh, he has operated in ways that have alienated vast sections of the citizenry and which uh, go, go considerable way to explaining why there's 
such a lot of anger and unrest in the country. And I think the, the fact that the president has a formal and legal legitimacy doesn't mean that the public is not entitled to uh, draw very sharp attention to the frankly corrupt and, and dubious way in which the president has operated over, over much of the last eight years and even before he came to power. So I think we have a, uh, a problem of... Uh, a, deeper, a problem of a deeper kind of lack of uh, trust in uh, political leadership, which uh, ultimately becomes a threat to uh, political stability itself. And uh, a, a big test for a, a relatively young democracy like South Africa is, is how well it's able to manage that kind of uh, anger and distrust. On the one side... Uh, a healthy democracy should be able to accommodate uh, social protest. It should be able to uh, 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 be re- should show itself as responsive to demands coming up from the uh, the public. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we, you know, the, the, it's important that there's a, a, some kind of social acceptance of the, the basic rules of the political game, according to which Zuma is, is, is the president of the country and will be until Parliament decides otherwise or until the electorate decides otherwise. So we have to uh, prevent, uh, a healthy democracy has to be able to accommodate that dissent, prevent it from uh, resulting in the complete destabilization of uh, political institutions, but at the same time show that uh, the institutions can be genuinely responsive to that that public upset. And I think there's uh, been a perception that democratic representation is not working as effectively as uh, it should and that the, the ruling elite has simply not been sufficiently responsive. And, and the corruption issue in particular is one, of course, that we haven't said that uh, much about, and uh, mm. it, it's generated a huge amount of anger. Aubrey, your take, uh, given that the EFF is pretty clear on what they feel about this particular situation and uh, not being there to listen to President Jacob Zuma? Well, if we look at the reports about the deployment of the police and the military today, um, that deployment is a a function of uh, the gap between self-perception and how the president his government and his party are perceived. So that, that gap is occupied um, by growing levels of uh, securitization. The second thing is this. There is an interplay if you look at how ordinary South Africans are in increasing numbers beginning to respond to the president. There is an interplay between um, a global phenomenon and uh, a domestic phenomenon. At a global level, um, if we look at Brexit and uh, the election of Donald Trump as uh, the U.S. president, what seems to be happening is that the ordinary citizen, uh, to use a polite word, is hurtful with the excesses of... um, the elites, and by the elites here, I'm talking about both the political class and the economic class. And the ordinary citizen seems to be taking the view that governments, politicians, political parties are acting in the main in the interests 
of uh, economic elite. And that is why sometimes I wonder whether uh, politicians should not be paid by, the, by the, their salary should not be paid by the private sector instead of being paid from the public purse. But when you come to President Jacob Zuma and legitimacy, we're talking about legitimacy, authority, and power. Now, yes, there are waning levels of legitimacy, the legitimacy of the president and the legitimacy of uh, his party. And that has happened because of the perception that the manner in which the president has exercised his authority and power has not been in the national interest and has not been in the interest of the ordinary citizen. Now, of course, parties such as the EFF are exploiting this perceived or real lack of legitimacy on the part of uh, the president. Now, you, you have one of the callers saying what the EFF is doing is boring. Now, in terms of cause and effect, it seems we are bored more by the effect and bored less by the cause. The cause is the manner in which the president and those around him have exercised their power and authority. And the effect is the response of the citizen and some of the opposition parties. Well, let's take a few more calls. Our guest this morning, Aubrey Machikri and also Professor Daryl Glazer. Mike and Newlands, good morning to you. Hi, oh, good morning to you, SK, and welcome to Cape Town. I um, just want to comment quickly on a slightly different question because it occurred to me I was going to, I have an opinion, but, you know, I haven't really got over the fact that our president stood up in Parliament in the NCOP and told us that uh, on live on TV he lied to us and said that the public protector had not asked him a question. We found out four days later he, in fact, had been asked the question for four hours by the public protector. Uh, Zizi Codwell lied on your show when he promised Colin Maiani would come on the show. He never did. Uh, Kebi Mapetso lied on your show, is a lie, we found he lied in court, and even on your show you got very upset when you questioned whether in fact yeah, what he was telling you was correct, but he, we know he's a liar. The Minister of Mining lied to us, and that hasn't been dealt with adequately. David Maletso, he told a big lie in the press comments and then went to Parliament and told us a complete opposite story. So what I'm getting at to the panel is, why, you know, how much weight are they going to place on anything that the president says? He is a liar. He's been found to be a liar. And I don't really know really what the fuss is all about because he can say whatever he likes. And tomorrow he can go off and do exactly the opposite and we'll never be any the wiser. And all this airtime we're spending on this uh, would actually have been a complete waste of time other than, of course, being very interesting and a great show. So my question to the panel is how much weight are you going to place between truth and lies on anything the president says? I'm going with about 20. I'm going to generously give him 20% of truth and 80% lies. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mike and Newlands. Charles, you're also here in Cape Town. Good morning. Good day, Rowena and Sakida and and, and your your guests. Um, My take is, um, Aubrey was speaking about the perceptions. I mean, we've constantly bombarded by this white capitalist media that is feeding us. The cause in that is it's come to, to, to your talk shows and in, in, in general, it's this perception what the media is feeding. But we, the democratic citizens that voted for the ANC and wanting this, this government to succeed, we we, we, we we not fooled by, by these perceptions. And the fact is that you're mentioning 
that the perceptions, um, con- constantly of the perceptions, what, um, what, what, and, and, and you, if you listen to the callers, it's um, a position that, I mean, you, you, you heard that they're basically getting paid to, to, to phone in and giving the perception, so the narrative is in the, 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 the audience's mind. But my take is, Mr. Zuma is our president. He's democratically elected, and I'm telling and I encourage the, 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 the president to continue with the good work. No matter what negativity, we've got a great country, and I believe we can make it, um, you know, at the end of the day, okay. uh, a successful country. Thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, That was uh, Charles in Cape Town. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue taking a few more calls and then we'll get our panel to respond. Sakina Kamwendo on SAFM. Well, we are having a pre-SONA discussion on the forum at 8 this morning with Aubrey Machitli and uh, Professor Daryl Glazer and taking your calls, reading your messages. Uh, before I take a few more, this one says, Jimmy Manye, ANC Youth League and Union should praise Mayor Mashaba um, uh, for what he's doing. Uh, another one uh, from Mageba and Pretoria. If ANC has not even today fixed the parliament rules to stop EFF disruptions during SONA, then they must forget to rule the country they must surrender to white superiority, the DA. Uh, Colin says, I would like to hear Zuma say that he is going to retire and learn to swim so that he can spend more time utilizing his fire pool. Joe in Peter Maritzburg says, don't you think our judiciary is overloaded? What do your guests think? It will bear the pressure or it, will it uh, will it be able to bear the pressure or will it eventually collapse? Um, Nick in uh, Hilton says, the only statement I want to hear from Zuma tonight is his immediate resignation, but I don't think he knows what the word means. And Kizomba in Pretoria says, so the professor is saying the West is not using liberal democracy for neo-colonialism and using NGOs as agents of influence uh, and regime change, while regime change is the American and EU policy. That's from Kizomba. And uh, from Facebook, uh, Pete Mtimde says, my expectations about Sona, I'm hoping the president will touch uh, the progress that the Rural Development Department has made since it was established and I appreciate uh, for uh, for him to do that. Uh, that's from Mount Frere. Uh, Spusiso says every everything he has said before has not been forthcoming so I'm not expecting anything new. Same old, same old. Uh, can't wait for the ANC rally afterward. Uh, now that's going to make waves. And then Ahmed Allah Alam says, uh, do we have to believe this man when he has lied so many times, including an oath? Uh, Zuma is delivering the sona for the sake of delivering it. He knows we know what is contained in the statement and not really the state of the nation, but tactic to defend him. Mike Ray says, um, I want to appeal to Balega Ambete to harshly deal with EFF in Parliament. They violate the Constitution every day by encouraging people to occupy vacant land. And Beggy Kama says, I expect the media will continue their anti-ANC propaganda whilst promoting DAEFF, but I also expect Zuma to give us timelines on land appropriation and an end to racism. Let's also just hear from Henry, who was calling us from Cape Town. Morning, Henry. Uh, good day, madam. Uh, I'm calling from Cape Town. Look, I have seen a, a reservation on the issue of uh, 400 soldiers on Parliament, really. Uh, you cannot keep the whole country listening to this type of, of discussion. When the French president is speaking in France, the whole area is closed by the police, 
and by the army. The same with the Russian president, the Chinese president, the U.S. president. And you have only 400 soldiers in the parliament, and you're making a fight around it. And if there is any uh, terrorist attack there, who's going to protect the president and the parliament? Really, we cannot be kept every single day. It's like we are assisting to the anti-government show, where every single commentator who comes is about negative about the government. And, and look, I'm not an ANC supporter. I've got no interest in ANC. But you cannot keep the whole country listening to like a symphony of anti-government and, and anti-ANC on radio every single day. You've got to bring people who also think outside of the box. Aubrey and others, it, it has, they are they're all always following the trend with the, the written media. This is not right. We listen to a radio, we need to listen to different opinions, different understanding of the politics, not always, always bashing us with anti-ANC, anti-government. This is not correct. You know, the radio is for all of us. We need to enjoy it. We need to, to listen to intelligent uh, input. We, and I'm blaming also you guys from the uh, SABC. You, it's like you have only people who can speak against the government. Every single morning, I'm subjected, we are subjected to a song against either the ANC or the government. You've got to create people, a pool of people who bring alternative intelligent opinion on on radio, really. Who, who would you like to hear? Who would you like to hear on the radio? Look, who look, would look, you want look, us look, to bring? Look, madam, I'm not employing uh, uh, people at SABC, but I think that you are, you are mature No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm asking yes. which guests. You're talking about alternative views. You'd love to hear different views. Who would you like to hear? Look, I'm just a simple listener of SABC. But what I'm listening is not joyful. It but I'm trying fair. to satisfy you. I'm asking you. Who maybe, would you maybe, like us to bring? Maybe, you, maybe your boss can, can have a big panel of intelligent people. Like who? Pro and anti-anti anti people. Look, I, I'm I asking you to help a, us along. Like who? Look, I don't have a database of South African speakers or, or intelligent people. You are the SABC. I'm just a listener. But I'm getting bored with the same issue anti-anti, anti-government every single day. Okay. You know, it's boring. We, we've got to have alternative and intelligent uh, 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 debate. We can't just be subjected to this type of bashing, really. Okay, thanks so much for the call, Henry. And uh, that's the other narrative. Blame the media for whatever is going on. There's quite a bit of that going on, not just in South Africa, but worldwide. And um, I'm not sure whether that is fair. I asked Henry, I gave him an opportunity. Tell us who you want us to put on the radio. If there's a view, someone you would like to hear, tell us who it is. Um, There are no holy cows here. We'll bring anyone onto this platform. But uh, let's respond to those comments. We only have about a minute and a half, so we have to wrap it up very quickly. Aubrey, let's start with you. Well, I mean, Henry and Charles are more or less saying the same thing. I agree with Henry. Um, South Africans must be exposed to a multiplicity of voices, especially in this uh, age of alternative facts and uh, fake news. Now, of course, he creates what I think is a false dichotomy, that if you have a particular view, you are intelligent, and if you have another view, um, you are not. But his basic point, I think, uh, is is, is a point I don't quibble with. As far as the State of the Nation address uh, this evening is concerned, all I can do is to go back to where I started. But increasingly, there is a gap between the State of the Nation address and the State of the Nation. 
And I don't think tonight's speech is going to close that gap. And Professor Glazer, your parting shot? Yes, I mean, uh, whether Zoom is going to be outrightly lying, as one of the uh, guests, uh, as one of your callers suggested, is, is an open question. But I think what we're going to have is a lot of uh, rhetoric. Uh, a lot of it is going to be viewed by the public in, in a cynical way. And uh, a lot of the rhetoric will be stuff we've heard before, and a lot of it's not going to be translated into practice. And I think it's, it's symptomatic of the situation that for quite a few years now, the most interesting thing about the State of the Nation address has not been the actual content of Zuma's speech, not least because he's not a, a great speaker. But so it, it, we it, lost it, Professor it, Glazer there, it, but uh, it is already a time for news, so we're going to have to leave it there. And uh, thank you so much. It promises to be a day full of excitement, uh, State of the Nation Address 2017 later on. And of course, SAFM is here. We'll be bringing you all the latest throughout the day, uh, midday live. PM Live will be broadcasting live from Parliament with Sepiso Makwetla and the team. So um, we'll keep uh, your station right there, your dial right there on SAFM and uh, we'll keep you posted. Thank you so much for calling, for writing your messages and for engaging us this morning as always and also to our guests Aubrey Machikli and Professor Daryl Glazer and to the production team. It's nine o'clock, time for the latest news with Nomsa Mdluli.